Hey, this is Dave Pryor from Leading Agile Sound Notes. You're about to listen to an interview where myself and Justin Polk talk all about how earned value management can be applied in an agile transformation and on agile projects. During the course of the interview, we talk about the pros and cons, some of the challenges with bringing this stuff into play, what it can do for you, um, what kind of people it's going to resonate with the most. But one thing that we don't do in the podcast is we don't define earned value because we're assuming this is a topic that's specific enough and sort of specialized enough that if you're listening to it, you probably already know what earned value is. But for those of you who are new to it, I'm just going to give you a quick rundown on it from the Project Management Institute, and this is coming out of the Standard for Earned Value Management. Earned Value Management is a management methodology used in project management for integrating scope, schedule, and resources, for objectively measuring project performance and progress, and for forecasting project outcomes. EVM provides practices, methods, and tools for project and program performance monitoring and has been demonstrated itself to be of great value. Earned value management is known as management with the lights on, and it's based on the principle that past patterns and trends can indicate future conditions. If that's something you know a little bit about, if you've worked with earned value in the past, if you come from a traditional project management background, I think there's going to be a lot of good stuff in this podcast. It was a very interesting conversation. With that, I hope you'll enjoy it. Thanks. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Justin Polk is back. Justin, thanks for taking time out of your day. Thank you for having me back. And today we're going to talk about a subject I am, uh, I feel very good about this subject. It's a really important topic to me and it's earned value, which sounds really weird that we're going to talk about earned value, one, in an Agile podcast and two, that somebody's really excited about it. But um, that's what we're going to get into. So before we do that, Justin, can you, if these folks are not familiar with you, could you talk a little bit about your background and what a senior consultant at Leading Agile does, and maybe also why we're talking about earned value from your perspective. Sure. So uh, I, my background is, you know, over a decade of starting off with software and holding just about every, every position on a team, BA, project manager, program manager, to a portfolio manager, and doing so oftentimes in the context of consulting. So it's a lot of consulting experience there. Um, I'm, I am, as you mentioned, a senior consultant at Leading Agile. So what I focus on a lot of times within our, our large clients is uh, the product tier and um, not necessarily down at, uh, I say down at the team level at the front lines, but, but uh, at the product and portfolio tier within these large, large scale agile transformations. Okay. And how does, how does earned value figure into the work that you're doing? So earned value comes up from time to time. Uh, I'm a chase the money kind of person. So um, I've seen agile transformations fall on their face when they don't uh, directly address the money, the money question. And that's whether that's software capitalization uh, in large scale IT transformations or, or uh, you know, earned value where that is, has been a staple or is even mandated as we'll talk about in some of these organizations. So, so yeah, I bang that drum about, you know, follow the money, make sure that okay. you are, are paying attention to the most important thing for a lot of, of companies, which is how we make money or how we charge our customers. Or how we spend it. Yeah. Um, now, do you find that this is something that is worth the squeeze for all customers or is it really just, I mean, cause I know you're working with an, with a company that's in a fairly regulated industry, but, um, 
I'm assuming this isn't really going to be worth the effort for certain types of organizations. So where this will be really useful is, as you mentioned, anywhere where you're doing government work where earned value is a mandated uh, method or, you know, in any enterprise where, you know, there's strict adherence or an attempt to apply the, uh, the old PMP methods in a dogmatic way where they're just doing earned value to, to try to have some semblance of control over scope and schedule. So people, people do earn value for different reasons, but anywhere, good or bad, that earned value is present, these are the kinds of, we'll talk a little bit about the kinds of things that you can expect when you're also trying to do agile in, in that context. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, I wanted to tell a quick story. So I come from a very deep project management background and used to teach PMP certification and stuff like that. And I love geeking out on earned value. I've never had to use it on a project except where I chose to. Um, it's never been like mandated, but I love getting to look at that and finding different ways to understand what's going on. And when I started to, to do Scrum, um, I was having a really hard time with the fact that I kept trying to map it back to traditional project management. And what I always tell people is like, there's maybe one place where you can map Scrum and traditional project management, but the rest of it, they're like lines that never quite meet. And so I was struggling with that. And I went to my first Scrum gathering in Chicago in 2008. And I walked into a session where Dan Rosthorne was talking about Scrum and earned value. And it was sort of like that scene in the Blues Brothers when Jake walks into the church and the light comes in. It was, the, it was the first moment in Agile where I was like, oh my God, I can actually do this. Like I could finally see something that was going to get my head into a space where this stuff made sense. Because I had done kind of variations on that with Scrum projects already. So um, in terms of it being something that made this stuff finally seem possible to a deeply schooled waterfall guy, it was like a gateway drug. And I, I, I love it for that reason, and I just really like trying to figure out what parts of it are going to help us understand what's actually happening and help us make smarter decisions. So do you want to start with why people use it, or do you want to start with how it works? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about what it is and, and why it's useful, okay. and, and, and maybe why it's still used. If, if the way the world is going agile, what role EV still has to play? And I'll play devil's advocate for this part. <laughs> I, I would expect no less, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so earned value um, is one of those concepts that came along because uh, there was a need in especially large projects to take a, uh, an incremental value um, and take credit for it. And what I mean by that is imagine you have a multi-year, you know, massive project that you're trying to manage for your company. And in that contract, you wouldn't get paid until you completed the project. That's a huge risk. Yeah. So how do, how do we manage that? I mean, uh, you know, cash flow is the lifeblood of any organization. So, so how do we get some cash infusion at the completion of a phase of a project? So you can already see how this is lining up to waterfall. Yeah. So what if I said, okay, if I do the requirements portion of this project, you'll pay me for 25% of the total value of the project. Okay. So if I'm six months in to that year long effort to do the requirements phase, um, I might want that 12 and a half percent because I say I've earned that value. So that's a very, right. very simplistic view 
of earned value. Well, that's really tricky too, though, because you're saying you've earned what, like I was thinking maybe, you know, it's a hundred dollars worth of work and I've done 50% of the work. I've earned 50% of that hundred dollars. But in your case, doing the requirements doesn't get you a deliverable. And that's the irony of the term earned value, right? Yeah. Is, is whose value is that? Um, there's no working tested product at the end of that. Right. Uh, that, you know, that you can actually point to. You just are, are claiming credit against a budget. So in this context, you've got fixed scope and fixed cost. So yes, in, in order for earned value to, to work, you have to have some, some predetermined scope and schedule, and they call that baseline, right? So your baseline sure. scope and schedule. Okay. So, and we're also going to look at the differences between what we plan to have happen by a certain point in time, what has actually happened by a certain point in time. Right. And, and there's all kinds of calculations for those, and each calculation has at least one, if not two acronyms associated with it. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost in the EV world, is it almost yeah. becomes arcane uh, in the literal sense that you know we're moving all of the symbols around in some way that's supposed to make some sense. And it does, you know, to its credit, you know, I, I held my PMP certification I've done all the EV calculations um, in the field, and and you know, it's there is something to it to measuring progress towards towards a uh, towards a baseline. Well, or if you just think about it from a budgeting perspective, like by this point in time, I plan to have spent X amount of dollars. I've actually spent X amount of dollars, but only gotten this percentage of the work done. Yep, you can be over budget and behind schedule, or ahead of ahead of schedule and behind on budget. You know, and, yeah. be, and being behind on budget is not always a good thing. And, and just to give a, try to give a really simple example, when I teach the, the CSM class or the CSPO class, oftentimes, let's say that, you know, halfway, we've done two, one day of the two days of training and we've completed like 40% of the required content. You could say that, you know, we've actually only achieved 40%, but, but in terms of time, we've used 50%. And in terms of the money that they pay to take the class, 50% of that money is then, then gone. But right. they have not realized 50% of the benefits yet. Right. The value that you've earned isn't quite what you had predicted by this point in time. Yeah. Well, so how does that work in an Agile gig? Because we've got a product backlog that's always changing. So that's true. Um, and the backlog, it follows the life cycle of the product uh, or service that it, it's representing. Uh, the build out of or the growth of. So that, that is true. So when we talk about being able to apply the concepts of earned value, there has to be some baseline, right? Or uh, where we say within this time frame, we will deliver this scope. And that sounds a lot like release planning in a, in a lot of people's ears, I'm sure, if they're, if they're following along. Well, you could, or even within a sprint. Yeah, I mean, it, all the way down to the sprint, right? We're going to deliver yeah. this scope. And it's going to be this, this sprint is a you know, two or three week sprint and uh, we're either going to hit that or not. We're either on, on target or we're not. And my mind instantly pictures that trend line on my burn down chart that I'm either ahead of schedule or you know, oftentimes not. Uh, hopefully we're not hockey sticking our, uh, our burn down. Yeah. So 
simple example, if I um, plan $100 worth of work into the sprint or into the release, that's my plan value or the, the budgeted cost of the work that we scheduled to have happen during this amount of time. Right. Let's say at the end of that time box, 75% of the work is complete. So the earned value or the budgeted cost of the work performed would be $75 instead of $100. Yes. But the actual cost of the work performed is still $100 because we had the team running for the entire sprint of the entire release. Yeah, and you hit on something that's very important, um, and that is how do you translate how do you translate to dollars? Because earned value is very dollar-centric, right? Yeah. It's the amount of dollars you spent and how fast you spend those dollars. And so one of the keys to using earned value within a large enterprise at scale it's, or even at a small scale is understanding the, the cost of running the team, right? Your expected, your expected run cost of that team. And that's, that is helpful in budgeting against features. But that's also a very uh, dangerous territory. Uh, you know, and people come to the wrong conclusions and start comparing dollars per points across teams. Or just like we tell managers and leaders that can't compare team velocities, we have to also keep in mind that we can't compare dollars per point per teams. Like that's, that's a very, very dangerous road to toe. Yes, I want a yes and. Yes and you could, and I have, Actually, I don't think I've done it team to team, but you could use schedule variance or cost variance to compare if you had to. Right, but it, what that boils down to in Agile is, is simply velocity variance. Well, I don't know. If we're talking, of, like, if I've got one team, regardless of how many points they're doing, like, I would much prefer that somebody look at what percent of the work they planned is what they actually complete instead of how many things that they do. That's you know that that's true. Is if I'm if I have a stable velocity though, and I'm not hitting my velocity, it makes it much harder to understand how how many sprints it would take to yes. complete a feature, right? Yeah. So, and but there's also the the point that um, I might be completely stable, um, but we're falling behind schedule because perhaps I'm working on two different features at the same time for two different initiatives. Okay. So there's all kinds of things that, that make EV calculations a little bit tricky in terms of applying them to agile teams. And what makes it even trickier is when you try to apply it across agile teams that may not have a normalized velocity. Okay. So I'm sort of struggling right now to go after, I want to go after two different things. Um, how do, if people just as quickly as possible, if people feel that compelled to compare teams, is there a way you recommend doing that? So there's a couple different um, there's a couple different ways that are absolutely not the, the way to go on that, and there's a couple different ways that are absolutely the right way to go. About okay, there we go. <laughs> so let's talk about the ways not to do it. Okay. okay. The first thing is to try to, uh, as you scale your agile transformation, equate equate points to hours. Points do not equate to hours. I mean, some of the greatest thought leaders in the agile movement have published multiple, multiple articles on why that's a bad idea. Um, from false precision to the point that, that you can't compare hours of one team or individual to the hours of another because of the difference in skill sets. Sure. It just does not work. Please don't do that. Um, one of the second things that, that uh, folks will try to do is um, 
have experts form a smaller team and go in and estimate that work. And then the people who are not performing the work Those are the ones experts. not estimating. Yeah. And once again, you're back into the problem of, I, you know, I, it's not the same number of hours for me as it would have been for that expert to, to do the work. I've seen probably half a dozen different ways that people have tried to tackle this, including teams that would create mirrored backlogs. So I have an epic, I'm participating on this epic and these features, and I have these story points, but that team over there has a mirror epic feature and you know stories that they estimate in their points, and all gets reconciled at the top somehow. So those are not the ways we necessarily want to try to approach that. Okay. How do we want to approach it? I'm glad Other you, than not at all. I'm glad you asked, Dave. So, <laughs> so there, you need to be able to normalize your points. Okay. So the the way there are two ways to approach that. You can normalize before, or you can normalize after. And there's, you know, people have landed on either side of that fence, and I don't, I don't see anything that's necessarily, uh, you know against the agile principles with the either approach. The first is let's normalize before. Let's get you know the teams together or representatives from the teams together who are good at estimating to come together and estimate many things together that may that have different levels of inclusion of their teams participation. Okay. And what they'll do is they'll they'll have you know a few dozen things that they've estimated together that they can then anchor on. What will happen after that if you have teams that have already established their velocity is you've got that three, you know, everybody knows that three person team that does 130 points every sprint or that, you know, that nine person team that does 13 points every sprint. You might see there, you'll, what you'll see is they will start to normalize towards each other as the effort values normalize across the teams. Yeah, because what it teaches the team is if you want to be left alone, you're going to have to make your points look like the ones they want them to look like. Yeah, it's it's hey guys, remember that effort that we all agreed this is a this is a seven. I mean this is a five seven Fibonacci. Yeah. What's wrong with me right now? <laughs> it's all right. The um so so yeah, so they'll they'll want to normalize or they'll see themselves normalizing towards that entire group's sense of effort and not just the team's uh level of effort. Right. That's normalizing before. So the, the second way to do it is to normalize after the fact. And this involves typically um, a little bit more effort uh, on the part of whoever's chasing this earned value calculation. Because the L ALM tools have not caught up to this. Not not at, you know as of the recording of right. this podcast. Most of the ALM tools, and not one that I'm actually uh, aware of, so if you know of one, please do reach out and let me know. Um, but where I can say, you know, I have a feature, let's say we have a feature and you've got two teams that are required to do the feature. And let's say that the, the feature is roughly half, but one, one team is a 30 point team per sprint. And the other team is, is, uh, you know, 50 points per sprint. And, and if team A says that their part takes 60 points and team B says their part does, it only takes 25 points, you know, then team A has two sprints worth of work to do, which probably represents, if they're roughly the same size, a larger dollar value than sure. Team B. And if you followed all of that, then um, one, seek help immediately. But, um, <laughs> but 
the point being that there is a, a way to say that we have earned so much value even though the two velocities are not comparable because up front we understood and baselined the proportion of the feature that each team owns. So you actually have to estimate the feature per team. Okay. It's a, it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, it seems like a, uh, a daunting concept, but it's not, it's just proportions of portions. Um, yeah. but it is, if you are adamant about, you know, no teams normalizing on their velocities, then, then that's the approach you have to take. Okay. So, Different types of organizations are going to need to use this. Now, my expectation is if I was working with government, that people would be using it because that's just how government does stuff. Um, but what is the main, in your opinion, the main benefit that an organization gets from taking this type of approach to tracking their work? Well, I think there's a couple of different things to unpack from that question. Um, yes, the government oftentimes will require earned value on the contracts. However, even the government with their big contracts have turned to their contractors and issued guidelines for adopting earned value and agile together because the government mandates that they do earned value, but they don't want to prevent their contractors uh, from from doing work in an agile manner. They see the benefit in agile. I mean, that's how far this agile movement has gone, that even the government is, is essentially asking for it or clearing the way for their contractors to operate in this method. So they want this because they're used to it. They don't want it to get in the way of agile, but they still want it because they're used to it. I mean, this seems to me to go back to that reporting thing of asking traditional people, like, what kind of agile report do you want? And they say, Gantt chart. Utilization report, stop light report. I'm going to give them a burn down chart and they don't know what to do with that because it doesn't speak to them. They're asking for us to work in an agile way, translate the outcome, and deliver it to them in a format they're already familiar with. Yeah, if your customer is asking for something to be more agile, I think what they're looking for in general is faster delivery of capabilities and services, right, with less risk, which is what what a agility business agility brings right okay the the mandate that they do earn value is is a vestige of a world where we were okay because the entire world was working at that same waterfall pace right it was just expected that development of a big project would take multiple years and you know be well over budget that's not the case today that's not okay today and you're competing with companies who have figured out how to be agile or who are naturally agile because of their, you know, when they were born and, and, and into what world and what size and what methods that they're using, you know, as a large enterprise, you know, you you are constrained by old world methods like earned value. And and that's not to say earned value itself is constricting. Now that's, that's a bit of a, that's a bit of a shift. Yeah. It's just that you, you are mandated to do it. That's overhead. And you're, you're mandated to do it, and what you would hopefully see as you start to adopt Agile, and this is, this is kind of a, a, another cool thing about earned value, is if you're in an organization that's doing earned value and you're trying to make the case for Agile, you can negotiate with your customer that you could deliver a capability sooner 
right, and get paid for that capability. And then focus on delivering one capability at a time versus big bang the whole project. Now you've increased your cash flow, right? There's the, the other benefit is if you're trying to sell an agile transformation internally, you can use earned value as a source of metrics for proving that agile delivers value faster. So you've already got all of your, your baseline metrics. Now what you need to do is show that the, the, the budgeted cost of work completed, right, exceeds what you budgeted for time and time again. Okay. So I'm going to try to say this as clearly as possible. I'm, I don't know if it's going to come out right. Um, in Waterfall, if I was doing earned value, I have fixed scope and fixed costs, and the assumption is that they're right. And because they're right, I can map out or schedule out how I expect the money to be spent and the value to be delivered. Most of the time, I'm going to go out and limit and say most of the time it doesn't play out the way you expect it to, but you know, maybe you've done a pretty good job at figuring that out. With us, if we're working in a truly agile way and the backlog is constantly in a state of flux and the only thing we really lock down is what happens in a sprint if we were doing Scrum or if, if it was just Kanban, we're just watching stuff flow through the system. I'm wondering who is aided by this data? Like who's able to take this information and use it to make choices and decisions? Because it's, there's an aspect of it where it looks to me like we're measuring stuff just so that we can say we measured a bunch of stuff and we like to measure stuff because it makes us feel like we know what's going on. Like, is it in, in some respects, is this kind of like a sugar pill? I'll say yes and no. I'm going to say people's people's mileage has varied with earned value. And it's, okay. it, you know, you have organizations that, that took, you know, the PMBOK and tried to lay it out as a process uh, within their organization. And they may not know why they collected all these metrics or, or have each metric tied to a decision point such that it's a useful metric. Um, and, in, and if that was your experience, you absolutely will land on the side of the fence that this is just a bunch of metrics for the sake of metrics. But these metrics are useful. Let's look at, you know, schedule performance index, right? Is it's essentially equivalent to, you know, your, your schedule burn down. Are you going to deliver the scope in the, the time frame that you said you were, which is what we do every sprint. It's what we do every release. So an SPI of less than one means you're behind schedule, right? That means your burn down line is above the ideal line. And, and invert that if you use burn ups versus burn downs. But, but the point being that these are still useful, what they do in a lot of organizations is put a dollar amount to that. And that dollar amount is usually the language used to speak to the government or, you know, large-scale contractors um, because, because there's, well, there's, there's money behind it. <laughs> it is a unit. It's a universal unit um, on, on how we're doing from a spend perspective. Well, okay. And I, I want to add to that too because I think that there are also ways of demonstrating predictability, um, especially SPI. I mean, if, if our goal is to get a team to a point where they can make and make commitments, so that we can plan the rest of the business, this is a very important thing to us then. Yes, absolutely. And I think there's, there's probably a, a, a section of the audience we might have lost. So schedule performance index, what we're talking about is 
is how you're tracking. I'm assuming if they're still listening, they know what <laughs> SPI is. Because That's otherwise, fair. they would have bailed like That's 15 fair. minutes ago. They probably read the title of this thing. And <laughs> um, no, but you're right. Um, and, and part of, of you know, one of our objectives within our base camp progression is to have teams that are, are stabilized, right? That can make and meet the commitments that they have. There will be a point at which the question arises, are we going to make the release, right? Or how are we on, on budget for the release? Because there, there is at some level within an enterprise, some investment in that release, some decision, some economic trade-off was made to put the dollars into achieving a release versus doing something else with it. And here's what's really cool. Uh, for for somebody who is seeing both sides of this is, I just before you go on, I just want to point out that you're talking about what's really cool with earned value. I, <laughs> yeah, you caught me, nerd. <laughs> so so what is really cool about it is it allows you to have those kinds of uh, of, of discussions. Specifically, I've seen instances where SPI is trending such that it indicates we need to go re-estimate our backlog. If we're consistently consistently off in how we're estimating our backlog, and I mean that in story points, right? Um, not in hours, right? But if, if your SPI is off, you may need to go revisit and say, look, we've been consistently off in our feature estimation. But let's dig into that and understand why. And the, the part that's cool, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll put cool in quotes for you, Dave. <laughs> is that it it focuses that conversation on the right part, which is that the estimation is wrong instead of it being that the teams aren't working hard enough. Okay. And that's the trick with story point. Like that's the beauty of story points yeah. and story point estimation. And when you combine it with SPI, you can get these, 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 you know, trend analysis and ratios and all that stuff, but couched in terms of, of effort and estimation. So uh, you just, added something i mean in in that explanation you answered the question that i was going to ask you next before i even got to ask it so the next question i was going to ask is like well okay yeah so this is great for management that likes to have lots of numbers to look at so they can you know in quotes help the team but um how does it help the people that are doing the work and i think the answer that you just provided was it shows their predictability, which or, or as it's trending, right, which is an indication of team health. Yeah. So if we saw that um, we had, you know, big variances from one sprint to the next in terms of percent of forecast met or something like that, that would tell me, okay, you know what, we got a problem with our planning here, um, and that's something concrete that we can address, and this gives us evidence of that. But I think the other thing that's really important to note is that if we are looking at you know, the cost part of it, that if you're going to use this, it's really important to try to find a way to make it not be something that you judge as good or bad, but something that is just an indicator of where things are. Because I think it would be a really a real shame if this became a tool that was used to just tell teams you suck, you know, work harder, because yeah. that's not going to fix anything. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I came from a world where, project managers took on a lot of the outcome of the project or, or the trending of the project personally. Uh, and that's detrimental both to them and to the project. 
Um, because to your point, the metrics are the metrics. It's how you interpret them and then what you do with that. Um, you know, if you interpret bad metrics as people being lazy all the time or this, that, or the other, uh, and, and personify it like that, you know, or make it personal like that, um, then, then that's not good. And if you decide that that reflects poorly on you and you, you decide, you know, you're going to keep reporting green across the board when clearly you're yellow or even red, um, then that's not good either. And so you don't build a trustworthy system by doing that. But that's a, that doesn't matter if you're using EV uh, or not using EV or you're using agile or, or, or standard project metrics. Uh, that's just a, a generally, you know, bad thing to do is to take take metrics too personally. It's also bad for organizations to use metrics in such a way. For evil, yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> well, I think that it's never intended to be evil. They're using them with with the way that they've been taught to look at things. Um, it's it's really interesting to me because this is a, a set of tools that I would have I would not expect agile people to pick up on. And I know there has been a fair amount of work done, at least in terms with Scrum, in terms of applying earned value and finding ways to make that valuable. Um, if there's somebody listening to this that thinks, you know, they'd like to check it out, like what kind of projects do you think this is best suited for? Or, or, or products or organizations? I mean, other than something that's heavily regulated, if somebody just wanted to try it out, is there a, a certain type of project they should look for? I think, I think more so... I, w I guess what I'm saying is I would never encourage you to actively seek out an opportunity to apply earned value unless you're in a situation where you are um, needing to show that you have uh, that you're on budget, right? That you're on schedule and on budget in a way that that your current metrics don't allow you to. Now we have metrics within the various agile uh, methodologies, Scrum you know, save all of those that, that allow you to show, uh, to show that you're on target, right. To show that you're on, 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 um, track to deliver the scope budget is oftentimes excluded. Uh, so, so when you start getting into the upper echelons of a company, are you trying to sell agile or even just to anything to, to finance, you got to talk in terms of dollars. That's the unit of measurement that they understand. Um, so I think a lot of organizations that are doing earned value have have adopted it either because they have to or or you know knee jerk because they need some semblance of control and, and some you know canary in the coal mine to tell them that that something's not right because they've been burned in the past. So you know, short answer is maybe don't seek out to implement all of the EVMS metrics, um, and maybe this conversation is more about being useful to to the folks who have to deal with EV and understanding that it is not, it is not anti-agile. It is not, um, it is not impossible to do it alongside agile. And in fact, it's just a different, different way of translating the same metrics that we use in, in the agile world um, into a different unit. Okay. So one of the things that happened when, 
uh, we did the previous podcast, when Justin and I recorded the last podcast, was I kept asking the same questions over and over again <laughs> in slightly different ways until I got him to answer the <laughs> What do you want me to answer, Dave? <laughs> no, I, I, I just, I, it's not that. It's just I want to ask it in a different way and see where it goes. Okay. So um, if I am an organization, you know, we've got projects that they're going along. Is there, what does this do for me? Like, what's the win? I, if I'm traditional or I'm already into this stuff or I'm a PMP, like, I totally get that. It's a level of comfort and familiarity. And these are numbers that you like to look at because, they give you kind of a, a smell of what's happening. But um, if, I, if I'm not from that side of that things, if, if I'm new to this, like what's the pitch? What's the win that I get out of this? Of earned value or earned value and yeah. agile together? Of earned value? Using earned value with agile. Okay. Yeah. So, so it'll, it'll give me a, a, a burn against budget view that I don't get out of traditional agile metrics. Okay. And then what do I do with that? So, so that helps you answer questions like, how, how much have we spent against delivering these capabilities versus how much we thought we would spend by this point? Okay. Now, am I correct in thinking that what that tells the ex- you know, executive function or whatever part of the organization that we are not doing a good job of planning or our forecasts are too rosy or too negative or whatever, but either way they can then make decisions about how to reallocate people, time, money, whatever, based on performance. Yeah. This opens up a a dialogue with the investment tier uh, within our tiered structure, right? So the people who are determining where we should spend money, is it developing, you know, this new capability or that new capability? Right? Is did we hit a wall with developing this new capability, and we're way over budget for where we said we would be by this point, or and should we should switch directions, or are we right right where we should be, or even ahead of schedule? I'm glad that you said that stuff about the investment layer because it gave me this other idea that if I'm on the team, like let's say a Scrum team, and we need a way to have a conversation with them about something that we feel that we need, then this is a way we could open that as well. We, it gives us a common language that we can speak to to say, look, let's look at these things together and talk about what the ramifications of this are. And if we want to move the needle this way, that way, the other way, um, these are some changes we might need to make if we wanted more people, more time or whatever. Yeah. I mean, if you have the next great idea at the, you know, at a product team level or, you know, wherever you're at and you want to make a pitch for, for, for resources, right? So dollars. Um, to go in and develop this new MVP or whatever it is that you're pitching, proof of concept, you want to go do that, um, you're going to need to be able to provide some kind of dollarized estimate for, for what it's going to take, what kind of investment it's going to take uh, for them to consider it. And that is the language they speak. Yeah, I think that is the key because in the same way that like one of the things I love about the idea of Kanban is that it meets you where you are. And I think on any kind of agile team, this is a way to go to traditional people and meet them where they are. We can talk to them about things we care about using tools that they are comfortable with. Absolutely. It can be very useful in selling this to finance. Cause again, I'm the follow the money kind of person who, who knows that when you're inside of a, a large organization your ability to affect change is often shaped by your ability to shape how we get paid. And if you're messing around with earned value, 
uh, and, and you don't have a, a good answer for how you're going to do earned value within Agile, your Agile transformation may fall flat on its face. Yeah. This is great stuff, man. Um, so I know you, you, were refer- you were kind of working off of the government document about how to use Agile and earned value. So I want to make sure to include a link to that. And I'm also going to include links to some of the Scrum stuff that's been done with earned value. Um, if people wanted to reach out to you to, to dig into this a little more, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, that would be my email, justin.polk at leadingagile.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn and message me there. Okay, cool. This was really, this was fun. I, I think we should do more about this. Um, so I, what I would ask if you're listening to this, if you're still listening to this, you must really care about it. So um, let us know if this topic resonated with you, because I think this would be really fun to dig into more. Um, any final words of advice for those who are considering venturing down this path? I, I would just encourage you not to be intimidated by uh, earned value. And, and, you know, if you're hearing that earned value and agile aren't compatible, that's absolutely not true. Um, and it shouldn't get in the way of, of you, you trying to, to adopt agile. Cool. And it can help support your conversations with the, with the waterfall folks. So it can give you a lot of a strong position to, to have a conversation from, I think as well. Cool. Thanks, man. My pleasure, Dave.